Hello, and welcome to League of Josh podcast. My name is Joshua, and I will be your host. Today, I was fortunate enough to speak with Grace Campbell. Grace is completing her fourth year of social sciences through the arts at the University of Calgary, where she is a dual sport athlete. As a key contributor, Gracie and the UFC Dinos Rugby 15s have experienced immense success over the past years, battling to retain the Canada West title for three years straight from 2016 to 2018. Her success doesn't stop on the field and has now grown to encompass the mat, as Gracie competes with the UFC women's wrestling team as well as the Rugby 15s. Grace was both thoughtful and elegant throughout our discussion, helping me to paint a more detailed image of the complex relationship between men and women. We dove into the growth of personality through our professions, as well as the importance of raising the voices of those unheard. My conversation with Grace was particularly humbling. I entered our chat rather anxious, expecting for it to be a somewhat hostile debate, as I believed Grace was far away from me, on the other side of the aisle. What I came to find throughout our conversation, and even more so after the camera stopped rolling, was that we are far more similar than we are different, as I believe to be true for all people. We are, in essence, painfully human in our contradictions and fallibility, ever unable to truly understand ourselves and those around us. Through one's willingness to communicate, we may find common ground to stand upon with those we once viewed as strangers, outsiders from different tribes speaking foreign languages, unable to reason. The willingness to hear and compromise with those we disagree with is not only imperative to the success of our interpersonal relationships and community, but it is essential to the perpetuity and further betterment of our community and culture. Through dialogue, we may find that we can build relationships with others, which in turn will build us as individuals. If we allow ourselves to understand others and appreciate the views and values that we do not hold personally, we may find an ability to expand our understanding of the infinitely complex timeline we find ourselves in. And dare I say, make a friend. Okay, we're, we're on, we're doing the thing. Cool. Uh, do you prefer to be referred to as Grace or Gracie? Either one. They're both my name, so okay. I don't even like notice the difference in my head when people use one or the other, so it's up to you. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for the freedom. Um, okay, let's start off with talking about the treatment of female athletes at UFC and kind of how your experience was with that and the potential negative feedback that you got from hosting a bunch of things that were going on behind the scenes yeah well it's pretty you know there's a bunch of different like levels like in terms of the support we get um with like doctors and getting treated for injuries and stuff it's like awesome no different than the way that men get treated university of calgary has one of the best sport medicine centers for their athletes and uh i'm i feel very lucky to have the support from that um and i can't really speak for other teams for like the female sports but there's definitely there's definitely a difference with the way that the rugby team is treated because we have to pay to play first of all so you know there's a pretty big team fee right at the beginning of the season there's not a whole lot of financial support from the university right off the bat and our like I don't know, brother sport is football and they're like just loaded with like support because they've got like a huge alumni like fund on top of what the university like provides them with. So it's kind of frustrating seeing how much 
like support financially they get and they're kind of like the stars of the university and I mean rightfully so they're a phenomenal team um and then same with pretty much all the men's sports it just seems like they all have more funding I don't really know about like women's basketball or soccer but the University of Calgary has I think the last couple of years we've been the school in Canada that consistently puts like the most teams forward to like national tournaments which is really cool so it kind of just is interesting to see how little we get on the women's side for like how much amazing sport we're putting through like like the rugby team we won the Canada West championships three years in a row like we won a bronze medal at nationals and just have been consistently performing really well and have like very very little support financially from the university like we don't have a field to really play games on we've got a kind of like crappy little makeshift field that like we have we don't have change rooms we don't have dressing rooms or anything we have to share the public dressing room and so does uh, wrestling and swimming and then all the other female teams get like a dressing room in the olympic oval um but it's like tiny it's like maybe the size of this room like they don't really get anything and then all the men get like separate dressing rooms with their names and it's all fancy and so just little things like that are definitely frustrating but like overall in terms of getting our needs met as actual athletes in terms of like keeping our bodies healthy and everything. The university is awesome for that. Um, yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard to say for other teams, but the Dinos women's rugby team is not the best for sure in terms of getting support. Like our coaches are volunteers as well. Like they, they have the like option to get paid, but they actively choose to not so that we don't have to pay more of a team fee, which is just like, super selfless like we have a great atmosphere around our team other than the lack of financial support how do you think would be a way to deal with the lack of financial support as you've alluded to the men's football team has a very large alumni base mm -hmm. and i'm not sure how you could reconcile that with a, a team which potentially doesn't have a large alumni base yeah totally that 100% is like the biggest part of why football has as much funding as they do. Um, and unfortunately, our rugby team is only, I think, this year would have been our 13 years of actually being a like varsity team. Um, so in terms of us getting like more financial support, I don't think that there are many options just because we haven't been around as long as the other teams at UFC. But you know, just in terms of getting like better kit and everything every year, like we've been wearing the same kit for the past five years and like other teams get new kit every single year. And, you know, no other, no other teams have to pay thousands of dollars just to play, just to be able to like practice and be able to wear kit when we practice. Right. So, and we have to do a lot of our own fundraising and everything. So I think, if the university itself would just get a little bit more involved with our fundraising and stuff like that, it would make a huge difference because everything that we do is pretty like independent. Like we organize it and 
pretty much <laughs> like scrape the barrel to survive mm -hmm. and yeah like if our if our coaches were to offer like or receive the money that the university offers them to coach us like our team would pretty much inevitably shut down just because that would take even more of the little bit of money that they put into our program away which really sucks but it is what it is yeah it, yeah it seems like more and more post-secondary institutions are pulling their funding from sporting teams for, yeah. for example down here uh, the stanford's men volleyball program got axed last year and mm -hmm. it seems to be more and more programs are getting their funding cut and they're being scaled back and scaled back and i'm, I'm not sure with the with the rate things are going if there will be a, a post-secondary athletic team in the future yeah. that's a totally totally valid assumption to make because even you know i think two years ago like the ubc women's hockey had like almost got axed or did i i don't know lots of lots of teams are getting axed like wrestling all over the country is getting cut and just like sucks like i think we had 20 plus athletes come from other universities to join the ufc wrestling team because athletes were in like like getting ready for their fifth year and then being told that there's nothing for them and they had to transfer their entire program like to a different university. Like it's pretty crazy. But we'll, we'll see how that goes. We'll see if that it is what it is. It's yeah. hard. To, like it's hard to be able to try and formulate any kind of like plan to get more financial support when like exactly what you said, it seems like so much like post-secondary sport is just kind of disappearing so we kind of have to just take what we get and say yeah thank you thank you for giving us the bare minimum because we just want to play right mm -hmm. oh yeah that's the thing with lots of teams is that kids are coming out of high school and for me personally it gave me a route to university that without which i likely wouldn't have ended up going to post-secondary school so i'm yeah. incredibly thankful for the volleyball that afforded me the opportunity to go to school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally valid. Probably same with me. I, I don't even know what I'm in my fourth year and I am, I'm not even in a program. Like I'm just, you know, taking classes, enjoying learning and just trying to play the sport that I love. So mm -hmm. definitely an interesting situation. What classes do you hover around? Uh, I'm kind of, sticking with arts and then like social sciences mm -hmm. um i really like dealing with people so i just don't know what exactly i want to do in terms of a career but yeah i'll figure it out eventually yeah you'll, you'll get there social sciences are fun yeah totally i just need to like manage to stay out of debt <laughs> always a tricky situation especially with the, the post-secondary life yeah for sure and playing this rugby year, as well that's yeah. that's a huge time sink that's true yeah we practice every day twice a day and then games all weekend so in a you know typical year that's what it would look like but this year has been kind of nice for trying to save money and everything just with everything being online and not being able to train because i'm not actually in calgary right now i'm back in bc so living with my parents for free, trying to save money. It's been convenient, but I definitely miss my teammates and everything. Yeah, there's a really big 
especially because I'm in I'm in Southern American right now, and mm-hmm. so they're not Southern American. Um, I'm in the south of the United States of America, mm-hmm. not not South America. Um, and there's been a very large push to get back to socializing. Texas recently, as in last month, I think they took away all of their mask mandates, and in Arizona now, I think that it's you're not allowed to to push people into wearing masks in in your stores yeah uh, it's still quite common practice though so well every, that's good at least yeah. i mean the us is getting vaccines way faster than we are here so at least there's that unfortunately yeah. europe really flexed on canada with the vaccines that was i was up there during that time and that was i was very surprised to hear that news but also wasn't <laughs> super surprised by the europe first mentality i yeah i don't fault them for that at all no, definitely wish there was a little bit more urgency over here, but it is what it is. Yeah. Only so much we can do, right? Yeah, I was going to say, there's there's just not a lot that Canada can do, really, if Europe is the main distributor and provider, and they pulled all of their production back into Europe and then said, you can't export until we have a certain amount. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, it's not like, in BC, it's not crazy bad either, and like, I don't know, BC's got outdoorsy stuff for freaking days that you can do. So at least my community hasn't been too horrible with like freaking out about restaurants and everything not being available all the time. So mm-hmm. yeah, going to be well, a little bit disappointed when all like the lakes and everything are just going to be flooded with people this summer though. But at least people are getting outside. Yeah, that's been one of the, uh, one of the key elements to fighting COVID is being active and absorbing vitamin D, which is interesting. Totally. That was kind of what we, we just didn't do that for the first few months last time. And now it's interesting to see that, that that would have potentially saved a lot of people. Yeah. I'm pretty glad that like summer's rolling around again, because there was a little bit of an influx in at least my community. And it seems like, you know, the the heat or the summertime or whatever kind of slows the virus I think so I'm happy that it's coming (laughs) like yeah so ready for it to slow down yeah it's it's I'm excited I think that things are going to change a little bit more but I still think international travel is going to take a little while yeah for sure but hopefully things reopen um I want to talk about your personal activism and what the roots for that was what the the push to you becoming more of an activist was and where you see that going um well i've always like from a young age i was always kind of very just like sympathetic and everything towards people growing up like someone fell on the playground and I would just like have an absolute meltdown being like if you're just feeling so bad for them like oh my god that kid scraped his knee and now his day is ruined right like and then as I grew up obviously I'm a little white girl and I'm very privileged and just kind of seeing the way that other people like have to struggle in ways that I don't always made me just like just feel horrible you know and when I was younger, I would always like go with my school and do like the meet a wee things and go and volunteer at like the soup kitchen and stuff in town. And just 
at a young age, I met a lot of people that were really, really less fortunate. And it just makes you think a lot about, you know, the way that some people have to fight to get by every day. And so that kind of just like struck my like, I guess passion. I don't I don't even want to call it a passion. Like I feel like it's just kind of human decency like bringing awareness to situations and supporting people and um I grew up in like smaller communities in BC and so there was never a whole lot of diversity. Um so going to the University of Calgary was like I don't want to say like an eye opener because it's, you know, it's not like I was like, oh my God, there's people of color around me and, you know, people from like lower classes and everything because that's not the reality. But I kind of got to the University of Calgary and was surrounded by like a whole lot more diversity than I ever was before. And kind of at the same time, a lot of, as we know, like social issues started coming about. Um, so I don't really have a like 100% like hard line of like when I started kind of being very vocal about political and like social problems, but just being around a lot of like like-minded people and seeing the things that they have to deal with that I've never ever had to experience and never will in my life just made me feel like I had to do my part to amplify the voices of the people around me that I love. So that's how I feel about it. That's what I'm doing and that's what I'm going to keep doing. <laughs> like, I don't know if I have any like major goals for where I want to go or if I, you know, want to kickstart any like big projects for anything but just I just want to amplify the amplify the voices of the people that are important to me mm -hmm. yeah it seems like a perfect perfectly reasonable thing to do yeah what do you think your visceral reaction was to experiencing diversity at UFC I grew up in a, a poorer neighborhood and was diversity was just always in my face not in my face not not necessarily diversity even it was just I saw tons of people of different colors and creeds and every which thing so I was always exposed to that and so I'm wondering as someone who came from a smaller less diverse town potentially how you're like you said it, it wasn't eye-opening but there was an experience to it where you maybe realized that diversity was all about us yeah it uh my reaction wasn't really like how do I I don't really know how to say like how to formulate what it made me feel like it you know like I said and like you just said it wasn't like a huge shock or anything like I was just around people but then just kind of realizing the things that people had to go through and kind of like associating you know what their like if they were upper class or lower class or like what their skin color was and everything to the kind of problems that they would like talk about in their everyday lives. It was just kind of like, okay, that's, you know, I never thought about that. That's not something that I would ever have to deal with. And so 
not being like around like a huge international population or anything was like oh my god this is so shocking and eye-opening but it was kind of just hearing like the experiences of all these people and it was just like whoa like because you talk to 10 people that are all you know international students and you're just like I really didn't realize that you know all this stuff was so different or people that like immigrated to Canada and everything you just had just totally over my head like didn't even stop to think about the things that could be going on in their lives so there's never really like a skin color thing or like a social like class system thing it was just kind of like the collective like differences of everybody that was just like wow because where I'm from like everybody for the most part is around the same kind of middle class lifestyle there's not a whole lot of depth there I suppose so it was just kind of seeing the way everybody lived differently was wild and then it just made makes you feel super ignorant right you're just like can't believe that I never would have ever thought about this yeah I think uh something that I really enjoyed about traveling Asia was my ability to my increased willingness to incorporate a lot of cultural styles into my own practices so um in in India it's very traditional to not eat with a utensil Mm -hmm. So forks and, and even the more higher end restaurants are now encouraging people to not eat with a fork and knife or spoon because that's much more, it, it, it dives down more into the cultural roots. And so the first restaurant I went to with a friend, he was my first year roommate in university. And then I went to Delhi and he came and picked me up from the airport. And so we hung out for a little bit and he took me to a restaurant and they asked us to not use forks and knives, which I thought was really cool. And apparently there's some relationship with the gut microbiome and your fingers and there's some association that you create with your stomach and your hands when you eat with your hands and so i've tried to incorporate that more into my my actual day life and same with even eating with chopsticks in my in my fifth year i was the chopstick guy or no it was my fourth year i was the chopstick guy because i would go to class with chopsticks and i would only like for a full year i only ate with chopsticks because there are so many different health benefits to it. I found that it was really nice to develop a stronger intimacy with my food. And I was much more conscious of my food and how each bite was its own construction of flavor and it slows down eating. So that helps with weight loss potentially. Totally. And so I found that with a lot of my international friends and people with diverse perspectives is that to incorporate that into my own life into making my my life potentially the most fulfilling that it could be. And even with that same friend, he, his family runs a, geez, what was it? It was like a battery recycling plant. And he was telling me about the rates of lead poisoning or rates of lead in the blood for employees and the general public of India. And it's much higher than, like eight times higher than your classic North American, European, Chinese or Asian, country that doesn't deal with that so I thought all of that was very interesting but yeah it's interesting to incorporate different cultural perspectives into yeah, one's own being yeah you just learn so much that you never would have had the opportunity to before right and 
It's pretty cool. I actually, uh, I'm in a Facebook page that is basically just for girls and traveling and stuff. And uh, a while ago, I like pre-COVID, um, there was a picture of you on it. And there was like a bunch of random girls. I don't remember where you were, but uh, there was a bunch of girls that, it was like a group photo of you with like two or three girls that you were traveling and your hair was all long and looking a little bit uh, rough. <laughs> and they never yeah. said that they were, but it was, it was funny because they were like something in the like caption of the post was about your blonde hair. Mm -hmm. And there was, it was, it was pretty funny. I've got a couple other friends from Kamloops that are actually in the group and they were like, Oh my God, I know that guy. <laughs> it was pretty wild. Funny. Yeah. I'd probably not shaved for at least a year at that point. Yeah. I uh, think that's exactly what it looked like. It was interesting actually being in Asia with the hair that I had and the skin that I had made me much more appreciative of women and minority peoples that have to deal with people consistently commenting on their features or touching them even because I would I would be sitting down at a restaurant eating my food and people would walk by me and just like touch me constantly all the time and people in crowds would grab my arm and just hold on for a while until I made eye contact and then they would just kind of walk away back into the crowd and it was it was just it was very frustrating after a while and so that made me much more empathetic of a lot, lot of the time women in that they're often touched without consent particularly in clubs and such and then also oh, yeah. people who are often commented on because of the color of their skin or their hair and people would literally come by and just start touching my hair and not even look at me they wouldn't they would just pass by and i would i always thought i was being pickpocketed so I was always on really heavy guard, but people would just come by and brush my arm or run their hand through my hair and run away. But Well, it's really cool that you can admit that you like, it made you think about, you know, what it's like to be like a woman or to be like different in general. And mm -hmm. in terms of that, it's a, that's a cool association that you made because I feel like a lot of men would just be like hey like don't touch me like leave me alone they'd like freak out and not really like like you said think they're being pickpocketed or like just not be as conscious about what actually is happening mm -hmm. well it was very emotionally taxing for me personally because uh, as i said i thought i was being pickpocketed all the time by random people and i had my passport i was prepared to fight a small child if they, oh, no. if they did take my my fanny pack but yeah, it was, it was very emotionally taxing because I had to be on edge consistently. And anytime it did happen, I was initiated into a fight or flight response. And that's, that's very physically stressful as well as psychologically stressful. Yeah, you're telling me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you could tell me a lot better. <laughs> no, it's cool that this is something that you're aware of, it's, even though obviously, oh, there's a big deer outside sorry I just looked oh, no, up that's fine. this is in my neighbor's garden at first I thought that was a big dog I was like <laughs> what the hell sorry um just what was I even saying yeah uh, we were talking about the the growth on big dogs heads that are happening in Africa or no sorry Australia that was a joke about uh oh what are they called 
Um, there's a Looney Tune about them. Uh, like the ta uh... Tasmanian devils. Yeah, okay. they have like really weird cancerous growths on their faces. But I was making a joke about deer. Sweet. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But God, sorry, squirrel. Um, yeah. yeah. It is very cool that you have had the opportunity that you can associate with what you know women and like people of color, people that are just different in general, can mm -hmm. deal with. Because lots of white dudes don't ever don't ever get that, and if they do, they don't. I guess take it into consideration mm -hmm. the way that it seems you have. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll concede that. Well, I, I do like to, I like to explore qualitative as well as quantitative data. So throughout my time studying sociology, I found that qualitative data was really good at allowing me to see through the perspective of others. Mm -hmm. And then quantitative data allowed me to see large scale trends and understand what was happening at the macro scale. And I found that, I found that psychology and economics and more of the math centered sciences are were really faced on large scale trends and then i found that an equally beneficial way to understand that was understanding the plight of the people within those groups and those demographics mm -hmm. and so i try to make a conceited effort to understand both the people in the group and the group itself and but i will concede that i did enjoy it for a brief stint um, I do think that men get far less attention than girls do. And so Absolutely. initially yeah. when, initially when, and that, and that can be a, that can be a positive thing and it can also be a negative thing if it's exacerbated to a point and it hits a point of potential objectification. But I, so when I was first there, I, I did quite enjoy it. I thought it was cool to be getting so much attention and girls would run over and touch me and giggle and yeah. little kids would come over and want to hang out and. And then as time went on, it became more and more frustrating as it wasn't a novelty. Yeah, I think that that's actually a really good point that you brought up, because I feel like a lot of issues that, you know, come from like catcalling and, you know, women being touched unwantedly and stuff like that in public is kind of from men who have never gotten that kind of attention before. So, like, I've definitely... I read a lot of studies. I don't know which one exactly I'm referring to right now. I can find it and link it to you. But I did hear someone speaking once about how a lot of men who don't receive compliments all the time throughout their life, the way that, you know, women typically do have a harder time associating what like an appropriate compliment is to give someone like saying like hey you're hot or something like yelling that on the street to someone like for a woman it's just kind of like oh like go away like don't talk to me but that man who might be saying it and i'm not like excusing the like mm -hmm. cat call, no, I understand. that man might think that that's an appropriate comment to make because that's not something that ever, someone's ever told him and he wishes that someone would say that to him right so there's definitely it's interesting that you say like, yeah, I enjoyed it at first and then it, you know, got a little bit annoying because that's, you know, pretty much what happens every single day between women. Like 
and then men just don't know which compliments are appropriate right mm-hmm. so it makes a lot of sense you're that's not not normal yeah. <laughs> like your experience is extremely normal welcome to womanhood yeah i'm still riding on a compliment i received about a blue shirt that i had five years ago so that's Lovely. i think that's uh that's something that a lot of my friends can agree with is that like you receive a compliment once and then you live on that for four or five years until your next compliment and then totally and like a genuine compliment is just so great you know like if you do something with your hair that was you know kind of a risky choice and you weren't sure if it was going to pay off or something and you weren't sure how you were going to feel about it and you did it anyway and someone like genuinely is like oh I love your hair that's like gonna make you feel good right but if someone's like oh damn like nice legs like nice body you're just like thanks Mm -hmm. I guess like well look at me like leave me alone right yeah I uh I think that you you mentioned something that I would compare to love languages in that maybe men are making compliments to women seeking out that reciprocal attention towards themselves an interesting study as well was that male streaker males the reason that males streak or not streak flash sorry so when a male flashes a woman and they're caught often the reason they did it they were they were hoping that the woman would reciprocate sex that was that was the goal of that heinous movement definitely lacking something that they're searching for subtlety maybe um but uh but i think that in terms of love languages people something that I've been attempting to do more recently is to understand the way that people want to be loved by observing the way that they love me and other people in the vicinity. So for example, um, I'll have a friend that will consistently get people gifts and maybe that's the way that they express love to other people. And maybe that's also a unconscious plea for please get me gifts of the thing I tell you that I really want. And so maybe, maybe there's some, some psychological connection there where the the thing that we project outwards most is also something that we crave most to be reciprocated towards us. Yeah. I feel like that is probably a very healthy assumption to make that could definitely be a connection for sure. Yeah. And I would be interested to see someone expand on that because I definitely, you know, there's so many factors that go into every single situation and it is definitely like a psychological but also societal thing so it would be very neat to see someone expand on that uh point of view that could be someone's graduate project it could maybe i'll keep that in my pocket if i ever actually graduate i I hope you do i hope you can test that and i would definitely read the results um kind of on this on this on this uh string you could say what do you think the, because there have, there have been so many progressive movements lately, and there are in sometimes very evident positive to those things and also potential negatives to those things. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the progressive movement. And I've, I've been trying to spend more time lately understanding politics and left and right wing less as a dichotomy of being either left or right but more of a a relationship between the two and the dance and so one is used as a a way to propose an idea and the other is is more or less a a conscience 
So one thing says, well, let's do this. And then it's, I would relate it back to physiology and psychology. So you have a, an intrinsic desire and intuition to do a particular thing. And then there's a little voice in the back of your head that tells you whether that might be a good idea or not. And so I think that on the, on the larger scale of that, that's the way that our poli that's the way that politics operate is we test things. And then if they don't go well, then we roll them back. And I think that as social media has increased in its capacity to educate as many people as it, as it touches, which is essentially everyone that policy seems to roll forward more quickly than the science can catch up. And so yeah. I, I want to know your opinion on the liberal progressive movement. Um, I think, you know, if we're focusing on kind of like the United States and the current events that have been ongoing there in terms of like the Black Lives Matter movement and everything, I feel like it's not really my place to have like a huge opinion about it. Um, just because like, like I said earlier, pretty much all of my activism and everything is just trying to like amplify the voices of people that I care about that are like actually dealing with those exact issues. And it's, it's hard to say as like an outsider who will never truly understand, like I can do all like tons of research. I can like try and get as involved as I possibly can, but one, I'm not there like right, like watching it happen. And two, it's not something that directly affects me, which is like, makes me feel like it's super hard for me to be able to even draw up any conclusion on it. And I don't really think that the world needs another little white woman having like a huge opinion on these issues. I, you know, I think that there's a time for me and people like me to have an opinion, opinion on things. And then there's a time for us to just like step back and just try and help if we are not necessarily asked to, but just like there's an appropriate time for us to be able to get involved, right? Um, so if we're, if we're going to use like the current like political situation in the U.S., um, I don't really have any big opinions other than the fact that there's a lot of systemic problems in that country and in Canada and in every other country in the world, but the U.S. especially just needs to change. I don't know how to, like, make that happen. I don't know, like, where I would involve myself in terms of, like, politics and making that happen. It's just, like, very obvious that it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's all I really have to say about yeah. it. Like, I, I understand. I understand there's a there's absolutely a reluctance to comment on things that don't seem to impact you directly. And I, well, not even that they don't impact me directly. I just feel like I don't, I feel like so many times in like conversations 
white people have a tendency to just like speak over issues that are actually happening with people of color and just uh, just issues in general with anything like white people have a tendency to have this like savior complex and be like I'm so active in helping this problem and like just being really loud about it and you know sometimes it's just not our place Mm -hmm. right and so I'm not reluctant to like talk about it obviously my social media like you can see I'm always like sharing things and trying to bring awareness to certain situations but it's not because I'm like trying to like lead the crusade you know Mm -hmm. so well that's that's one of the reasons that I I did want to talk to you not because of this but because of how active you are in amplifying the voices of others as you've said before you're I I find that very commendable that you're able to kind of take yourself out of an equation and put others before yourself in some sense yeah like it is obvious like I as you can see by my social media I do care like very very deeply about all of those issues but I feel like that question that you asked should probably you know someone else should be sitting in my place answering it Mm -hmm. I have a friend I have a friend Tyler that I talked to his name is Tyler Latwila we talk every now and then and Mm -hmm. you might you might know him he lived in Calgary he went to save for a while but he uh I don't think so he's he's a very very intelligent guy and he's a very active in the BIPOC community and so he's always my anytime I get to a point where I really need to talk about something along these lines he's always the guy that I ask and he's he's always very very good at giving me advice and having a an open conversation I think that's one of the things that I I really like about him and kind of what I've been trying to do with this podcast is to expand the political and general life ideas uh, and allow for a platform where people can talk about different things that have helped them in their lives and different political issues and trying to bring people in from both the left and the right and to just be a more intermediate moderator who just likes to ask questions. Yeah absolutely absolutely fair i think that you're doing the right things for sure but yeah i just think there's a lot of white women with savior complexes who want to you know just be so out there about trying to help things and they're you know they have friends of every race and they don't see color and they want to make everything better and it's just so pretentious and unnecessary it's unneeded it doesn't actually help anything when you have a bunch of white people and people who don't understand situations like interjecting themselves into it so um yeah i just try to i just try to make it loud louder for all the people I love in my life that are like right there in those problems, you know? You're like a speaker attached to a microphone. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you could say that. How do you think that your, maybe not political activism, but how has it impacted your life in a potentially positive way through 
through friends, through UFC, through all of those things? Yeah, well, I've definitely learned a lot and it's given me a lot of opportunities to connect with people and learn from people about things that I would have no idea about, right? So kind of like you with traveling, it's just totally expanded my like scope on the world and even my own communities and everything. So I think that it's affected me in a positive way just by like making me like forcing me to like have to take off that blindfold and like acknowledge the struggles of other people and like be comfortable with I guess having to just talk about it and deal with it because I feel like a lot of people of white people especially want to be like well I'm not racist I don't say the n-word or I don't do this and I don't do that and you know doing you know that's great that you don't you don't say the n-word or anything like that but people still have so many microaggressions that they're not aware of and so definitely I've had to like realize the things that I've done my entire life growing up that I never noticed was a microaggression that could be harmful to someone, right? So definitely a lot of self-reflection and like reflection on my community and just the way my very like non-diverse community growing up kind of like shaped the person that I was before getting like really deep into like exploring the issues of you know, people of color and people of lower income and stuff like that. So definitely growing as a person a lot. Did you, did you personally find any, um, maybe not backlash, but did you find it psychologically difficult to change your perspective on a lot of these things? Absolutely. Well, for some things, no, for some things, it's just like, oh, duh, like I shouldn't be, I should like never be doing that. Like that makes sense. Like, I can't believe I did that, but it's really hard for a lot of people, for everyone in general, to be able to like look in the mirror and kind of pick apart the things that they're doing wrong and be honest with themselves about where they need to change. So nothing was super hard for me in terms of being like, okay, I need to change that. But it was interesting and seeing and like, recognizing things in myself that needed to change right like once I recognized them it was like okay I need to make a conscious effort to not do that I need to just like unlearn that wipe it from my like hard drive but yeah for a lot of people they just can't like be honest with themselves about things that might not be okay that they should unlearn so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah I find I find that's something very difficult that people often face is the necessity to look into ourselves for the things that we don't like about ourselves. Totally. And not even things that we might like, you might love yourself and think you're an amazing person, right? And you're just the best, but then you'll, you know, get faced with something that you never realized was harmful to yourself or other people. And and it's kind of like, whoa, hey, I got to fix that now. 
yeah it's like it's like dealing with baggage but the baggage that you don't know that you have totally and you know growing up in like a community like mine where there wasn't a whole lot of diversity you definitely you definitely learn things it's kind of like with you with traveling you know people seeing you and being fascinated by you and stuff right like I feel like the communities that I grew up in being smaller and being mostly like European super white like having anyone different come in people would be like not necessarily like super obnoxious about you know noticing how different other people were but just you know staring at people too long just because they don't look like you and stuff like that or like I've seen people at the suit like I work at a grocery store currently and I've seen people with you know their braids and everything and having people be like oh my god your hair is so pretty like and just like awing over people and it's just like that's kind of like you might think it's a compliment but you're actually just kind of being obnoxious right now and you know it might not be warranted you know like just things like that that people might not even think are like a big deal or an issue or anything it's you know could be a microaggression that you never knew you had and it's it might not be because you mean any harm you might just be ignorant in the sense of like your community you've never seen that before right so just read the room I guess <laughs> I've, I've definitely gotten a lot more quiet from the the I would say current terminology around a lot of those ideas I, I tend to not really compliment people in public unless it's something like a shirt or anything yeah. that's not immutable yeah like there might be something that's totally different to you that you find super fascinating but there's a way to go about appreciating it and all that without having to just be obnoxious about it I guess is I guess that's the best word I can use (laughs) like yeah what do you think would be the best way to go about that for you personally as as a as a woman how would you like to be complimented or uh well not catcalled I gotta say between like all the different jobs that I've had throughout university and being a student have definitely put me in like different uh, situations. Like right now, currently working in a grocery store, um, I get, you know how many like old lonely men go to the grocery store to just hang out and talk to people? It's like, oh boy, it's nice. And a lot of them are super nice, but uh, a lot of the times, you know, they, are being so overly nice they don't think that what they're doing is inappropriate in the way that they're speaking to you so and you know a compliment's a compliment like yeah sometimes you might be walking down the street and someone's like hey you're really beautiful and you might be like oh don't cat call me um which is totally valid but people just need to learn that there's like a time and place and like tone is really important and you know I don't like our conversation earlier just about like why people might do the things that they do. It's like hard to set like a straight 
definite line of like, do not compliment people like this or say things like this to people. Um, just because everyone's a little bit different upstairs in the way that they think. But just don't talk about people's like looks or anything outwardly when you like haven't even had a conversation with them or know them. Like unless, yeah, like it's a shirt. Like you see someone walking down the street and they've got a really cool purse or something. Like tell me my purse is nice. I probably spent a bunch of money on it and like want you to look at it. Right. Or like I've got quite a few tattoos and everything. Like if you think I'm hot, just say like nice tattoos or like nice outfit or something like that. Like you don't need to be like, damn baby. Like you look so good. Right. Like it's just, it's weird. And there's just a respectful way to do things, right? Like walking down the street isn't, it's not a strip club. Like don't treat me like I'm a piece of meat. Like I'm a person with a brain that, you know, maybe would entertain a conversation with you. Maybe if you were genuinely nice and not trying to just be a creep. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. There's not a like definite way to get complimented, but there's a way to make people feel actually appreciated and like comfortable. So, yeah. I yeah, don't know. <laughs> I, I, don't, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I, that's actually kind of the, the tactics that I use. I actually, down here, I really try to, oh, anywhere that I am, I try to create community and I find that really important. Mm -hmm. So anytime I walk around the lake by, by the house, I will compliment people on their, their animals or yeah. I like walk around with my, I have two little old dashums that I have in a little baby stroller. And Cute. that's, that's normally a pretty good conversation starter, but yeah, I'll tend to compliment people on their tattoos or their animals or more or less their, not their immutable characteristics. Yeah, like if you, if you like the way that someone looks, like find what specifically you like about it. If it's not like instantly sexual, like if someone's got a nice butt or something and that's the only thing you can focus on, don't say anything, just don't. But if you find someone to be attractive and maybe they have a really nice smile and that's what's attracting you to them or they're just very confident and their just energy is like draws you in and everything then say hey you have a really nice smile or like your hair looks great today like just things like that that are genuine and just go a little bit deeper than surface level you know like the other day I was actually downtown and uh I was walking out of a store and a guy walking down the sidewalk said and I I quote nice hair you effing biatch and I was just like, like thank you but I was so shocked I was like okay like and he just kept walking and I was like um well I do I do think my hair is nice but that was just so like not not the way you give a compliment you know like you could have said hey nice like hair compliment yeah like you know, I haven't even said anything. Like, I literally just took a step out of a store and you're, you know, swearing at me. I was like, oh, sweet. Thank you. And I was thinking that my hair looked very nice that day. So I was like, does he not like it? Or like, what's happening? <laughs> so many mixed signals. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do I take that? But um, going from like, like being a woman and having to deal with like unwanted compliments and touching and stuff like that, going from 
like working in a nightclub and seeing people like outwardly and aggressively, you know, trying to get with people and stuff like that. It's a lot different than seeing the way that like people behave in a grocery store when they know that they need to not be inappropriate, but they still try to be inappropriate. And it's like, um, cause obviously I was a bouncer. So when, you know, people would come up and talk to me, I could literally just like turn the other way and not have to acknowledge them and be like, I'm going to kick you out if you don't leave me alone, like just go away. And then working like customer service, I have to, you know, have my customer service smile and be like, what can I do for you? Like customer first, right? Even when people are, and they might not be like touching you or like immediately commenting on your body or anything, but you can just tell when people are like being creepy, like walking down this, like I'll be stocking shelves or something and a man will walk down the same aisle like five times in a row and just be like eyes like all over, you know, parts of my body that aren't my eyes. And it's just like, I can see you, man. Like, that's no better than, you know, grabbing someone's butt at a nightclub. Like, it's just, <laughs> there's ways to appreciate people appropriately. Like, it's pretty wild. How do you think that being a bouncer at a nightclub impacted your personality? I find myself very agreeable. And so I think that most women tend to find themselves more agreeable than not. And so, how did you? come to maybe you weren't agreeable maybe you were hyper disagreeable <laughs> that's why you decided to beat people like me up uh yeah well it's just fun you know it happens all the time <laughs> you're just so easy to bully it happens yeah. yeah yeah i know um definitely when i when i first started i tried to still be very like customer service oriented just because that's kind of just the way that I am. I'm a very accommodating person, but then uh, I quickly learned that intoxicated people suck and, you know, being intoxicated can be fun, but holy crap, if you ever want to be like humbled and like, just go be sober at a club and be like, oh my God, do I behave like that? Cause you know, people are just crazy. And uh, when I started bouncing it was during Calgary Stampede actually a couple years back and uh like I just wanted to work through Stampede I wanted to make a bunch of money and I had the certifications so I was like let's do this let's see if they take me on and they did and uh I had to I was uh one of the people for and I worked every single day of Stampede like the whole thing straight so it was like from 12 o'clock in the afternoon to 4 a.m. just working and touching people and dealing with people. And at first you want to be really polite and accommodating and then you realize that it's just, it's not the way it works when you're dealing with that many people who are intoxicated and like that many people that are out looking to like get lucky and all that stuff. And, you know, if I had a dollar for every single time I did a pat down on someone, and I heard like, oh, I haven't been touched like this in years or like, you're going to take me for dinner like later or anything like that. I wouldn't have any student debt. I wouldn't. Like, <laughs> it's just, so <laughs> I saw my personality when I was working change drastically from when I started to like when COVID came and shut everything down because 
you know, I would originally be really talkative with people and be really friendly. And then you, you know how it is. You go to a club and you see bouncers and they're all like, don't talk to me, give me your ID, go inside, like do your thing. It, it's real. And it like, it's hard to not behave like that when you're in that workplace. Cause like people just suck. Like people are rude. They don't want to listen to you. And you're like, I'm just here to keep you safe, man. Like, I don't want you to die. Like doing pat downs and, you know, finding drugs on people and stuff. They like freak out and they want it back and everything. And you just realistically, we don't get paid enough to deal with the people that we have to deal with. So my personality changed at work very quickly. Like you just straight up tell people to get lost, right? Like you don't have to, you're, you're not there for the customer service. You're there to make sure people don't die. And people typically don't respect bouncers very much anyways. So I definitely turned into like a huge biatch when I was working, totally. Have you had to fight anyone during yeah. the job? Yes, absolutely. It's kind of just, it's not fighting people, but like being able to, you have the right to defend yourself, right? Like we obviously have to try and like diffuse situations, but like if someone's attacking us and I mean, we don't beat them up, like, you know, we don't fight people, but like if you have to hit someone and you have to tackle them and do that stuff, you have to do it. Like it's just part of the job. And we actually, you know, we have to have a lot of certifications um, to be able to do it because, you know, we have to legally detain people and like kind of work with the police. So like we know how to grapple people and detain people and restrain them in a way that's not going to like hurt people. Um, so yeah, I don't have to fight, fight anyone, but definitely have to get physical with people sometimes. And it's not fun. <laughs> it's definitely not fun. I, uh, there was a, a un not a university, sorry. There's a police precinct in Georgia recently that started training the majority of their officers in jujitsu. Mm -hmm. They've had crazy positive benefits from it. It's Absolutely. very, very cool. Yeah. Because I think that well, right now, New York just made it illegal to put pressure onto the torso of an individual. Mm -hmm. And so... I think the, the current hypothesis is that police brutality is going to increase dramatically in New York because of that. Because if you're not able to subdue someone by putting pressure onto their torso, then you're forced to either get five officers to hold someone down by the limbs or to taser baton people. But well, these precincts that are, sorry, you go. It's interesting that, um, people are like worried about the police brutality going up and it very well might happen, but uh, just being a bouncer and like having to restrain people, there's like 100% ways that you can do it properly and safely without having to put pressure on someone's torso. And I've seen it and I've done it. So it's like, obviously, if you know if people are like super violent like usually with drunk people once they're on the ground they're pretty much done right sometimes they try to get up but it's like try man like i'm not even putting in a whole lot of effort to keep you down you can barely walk straight mm -hmm. but there are ways to do it that you don't need 
five men to be kneeling on someone's like chest or back or anything like you can have one person just kind of on their backside and nowhere near this part of their body right like and as a as a bouncer and having to deal with like restraining people and everything we have to be really careful because we technically don't have like we don't have any laws to protect us any more than like a regular citizen does like if we hurt someone like we're gonna get sued like we're gonna get in trouble we're gonna get thrown in jail it sucks and it's a pretty big liability and so that's why it's like super important for us to be able to restrain people properly without hurting them and like it is 100% possible it totally is and I've never been in a situation where someone might have like a weapon that like like a gun or anything I mean some sometimes people come in and they have little shanks or whatever but like um usually we find those before they go in the club and we take them away because we do pat downs but I've obviously never been in like a life or death situation so I can't really speak on that like obviously adrenaline would be pumping but there's you know I've been in situations where it's been absolutely necessary to keep people restrained and it's really not that hard to do without like messing up their their torso at all Mm -hmm. so it'll be definitely interesting to see like it is possible though like it's Mm -hmm. not it's really not that difficult and like with jujitsu and everything like that it'll be way easier for them to be able to do it once they have like the proper technique and everything because even just with me playing rugby and being able to like know how to take people to the ground safely that makes a huge difference and then um I don't know if I have told you this but I got picked up by the wrestling team as well at UFC so then I yeah so dual sport athlete um um so then I obviously through that learned like a bunch of like grappling and stuff like that and it's like when you actually know the techniques to keep someone in a position without hurting them it's so easy like it's so easy and but like I said yeah I've never dealt with anyone with like weapons or that's trying to like actually kill me so whatever (laughs) yeah I think that uh you you make a really good point that once you actually know what you're doing it's a lot easier to actually subdue someone I think right now it's determined by the state itself but on the nation as a whole it's about people train for an average of two hours a year yeah in in physical contact so I think it's it's uh four hours every two years is mandated and that includes tactical gun work and so I think that that's just not enough like that's crazy I think the numbers around it's it's like 1500 hours to become a barber and around 600 to seven hours to become a police officer yeah I'm not I'm not sure if those numbers are exact I need to look sounds about right I'll put a citation into the comments but yeah, I think the police are just drastically undertrained right now. Totally so, overfunded in a lot of ways and totally undertrained. It's just like a recipe for disaster. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of blows my mind. I mean, Canada is definitely winning in that sense compared to like how much training our RCMP get and even then 
they still mess things up pretty badly sometimes. So like, we're not that much better, but we are that much better. Like it's crazy. Yeah. I think a big part of it is the, the public eye is now on police. Anytime that there's a, an altercation with the police officer, eight cameras are pulled out immediately. And so the police are now having to retroactively catch up on things that they haven't been training or been preparing for, for a number of years, because there's no dispute that police brutality has been rampant in lots of places in order to keep the peace in air quotes. And I think that, you know, there are, there's always people arguing on the side of like, well, that's a super like stressful situation for the cop. Like they don't know if they're going to get injured and like, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's, the job they signed up for first of all and they should absolutely have like the training necessary to keep themselves feeling calm and like able to control a situation you know and then people will be like well how could a officer feel safe and be able to focus on doing their job when there's a crowd and when there's cameras and blah 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 and you know you always see videos on Facebook of people getting pulled over and immediately filming and cops being like hey put that away or they're like oh I'm filming and you know stuff like that and Mm -hmm. realistically like we've had camera phones for a really long time and we've never always been filming cops like people kind of started realizing that they have to film because of the things that were happening and they needed proof like it wasn't like police started getting you know, so agitated because people were filming and then it just made things escalate. Like the filming of police officers is like a byproduct of people needing that like proof to protect themselves because things like situations were already being like inappropriately dealt with and then people were getting hurt. So it's just the whole situation in the United States is messed up like there's so many factors to it and like definitely we see more bad stuff because of the filming and there's you know everyone's got a camera in their car on their phone like on our watches and stuff like that but like the filming is just a byproduct of the bad behavior that was already happening and then people are just getting pissed off that they're getting filmed and that they're getting you know seen doing things not properly and then that just makes them angrier right and then it escalates things so like the whole situation just sucks all of it but I definitely think filming is appropriate even though it definitely seems like there's so much more negative stuff that we're seeing on the internet all the time in terms of that um it's you know the only way that a lot of the times people can protect themselves, especially in a system like the U.S. where police in a lot of uh, respects are so under-trained. Um, like, how, how are you as like a citizen supposed to feel comfortable like dealing with an officer that might only have to do two hours of that specific kind of training a year? Like, it's just hard to hard to ask people to have any kind of like respect or like faith in law enforcement you know Mm -hmm. I definitely think that the filming is a good way of holding the 
precincts themselves accountable as well as the individuals accountable. And I do believe that that's creating a, a wave of required change from the police. And you mentioned earlier the amount of stress and how that relates to how the officer should be able to do their job. And I think that having the proper training would increase their capacity for stress and subdue the innate amygdala takeover, you could say, where like very, very similar to being an athlete, where I'm sure that after a few years of playing rugby, you were much more comfortable with making moves and doing things that when you first started, you just hit a point where you don't control yourself anymore and you just start acting out of nature. Yeah. 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 So I think that increasing that threshold before amygdala takeover is very, very necessary. And that comes with training and consistent training. Yeah. Like I, I don't know, call me radical, but I, I think that a police officer should be able to deescalate a situation and maybe not be driving a Tesla, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I think that, well, I think that's something that did something very good that came out of this was the like police officers shouldn't be called to, to mental health checkups. Oh yeah. There there should be psychologists and physicians that are trained and that go and check up on these people. There, there are definitely better ways that the police can be using their time than doing things that they're number one, not trained to do. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's like in a Kelowna last, last year probably yeah last like 2020 at some point at ubco in Kelowna, there was a girl who i believe it was her boyfriend called 911 because he wanted someone to do a wellness check on her and she lived in like just the residences on campus and basically the there's a female police officer that went to go do this wellness check and Kelowna actually has like a like a, I don't want to call it like a task force, but they have a group of people that are like designated to do that. And I guess they just weren't available that day. So they sent a, a police officer, a female police officer. And there's a video basically of, and just like the security cameras from the um, building itself. So there's no video of what actually happened like in the, in the girl's um, little apartment. But this girl is like, just in like a bra and she's like face down on the ground handcuffed and this police officer dragged her across the floor all the way from her little apartment into the lobby of the building and the girl you can just see her like she's not moving she's not trying to resist and her arms were like behind her back and so the police officer was like pulling her arms up and backwards which could easily dislocate someone's shoulders and stuff like that and it was just and there's other students like coming in and out of the building like seeing this happen and it was just so unnecessary and like disturbing to watch and you could just see this girl was like sobbing like laying on the ground like not doing anything to resist this officer at all and the there's a couple um parts of it where the officer was like the girl would you could see her lifting her head to like talk to the officer and the officer would like step on her head to like put her head back down on the ground and it's just like this is a person that someone was worried about like killing themselves like how is that gonna help like I would want to (laughs) die that much more if that was happening to me like how 
this just messy so unnecessary like how could you be okay doing that to someone doesn't make sense yeah i think there's far more responsibility put onto the police than than they have the proper training and resources to actually deal with big time i hope that's a part of the the police reform is to number one give them proper training and number two take away the responsibilities that they're not trained to do absolutely it's like pretty hard to deny that things need to change drastically people who say that everything's fine and they need more money and more funding to do certain things and they're fine the way it is and if society would just cooperate with the police and the police wouldn't be doing all these just not great things it's just ignorant ignorance yeah yeah i um i'll I'll link the study in the comments for anyone that got to this point um but uh there's a they actually found that it costed less to train their officers in jujitsu through like a locally vetted school. So they were, they were staying local, they were staying within the community and they would go and they would train with, with the public. Mm-hmm. They would just go twice a week and they found that it actually ended up costing them less because in the end, less officers were being injured during mm-hmm. arrests. And then from there, they didn't have to file, file for workers' comp. So the police precinct actually ended up saving money on yeah. in, improving the training. Well, think about the legal fees that they could save, too, if they didn't uh, suffocate people to death. <laughs> so, there you go. There's well, that's the thing. To, sorry? No, sorry, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, there's ways to do things that are just, it's so easy, and people just want to push back just because they don't want to be accountable, I guess. Like, Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think the route isn't to push back, but to find a a logical, coherent answer that will allow totally. for an improvement of the structure of the entire thing. Yeah. And, and like, you don't need to dismantle the whole system and rebuild it. Like, it doesn't need to be dramatic like that. There's small things that, you know, you can choose to actively try and do to better your situation every single day that end up making huge differences. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to stop there? Yeah, sure. Cool. It's up to you, man. This is your gig. Yeah, no, that was fun. I like that. I like to, I think that's a a natural good conclusion. Um, Okay. I'll stop and then we can talk for a few seconds after this. Sure. Okay. Bye guys. Thanks.